This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everyone. I'm Sierra. And I'm Ashley. And this is your Weekly Weekly Dose of Wicked. There we go. That is nothing like our music. <laughs> Just shut up and let me jam out and get myself ready. I don't know why I always have to hate. All right, let's go. Are you ready? I think that should be the intro right there. Whatever. I feel like we haven't done this in a long time. I know. It has been a while since we recorded, huh? No, it hasn't. We recorded last week. Oh, really? It feels like forever. Maybe right. Thanksgiving was in there. Right. It feels like it's been forever, but no, we actually literally recorded what? Monday? About a week ago. Hmm. Was it Monday or Tuesday? I don't remember. I think it was Tuesday. I think it was exactly a week ago today. I think it was exactly a week ago today, but whatever. Who cares? All right, moving on. We actually do have some things to announce this week, which is exciting since the past few weeks have been boring. Get ready. I'm really freaking tired. All right. Well, perk up. I'm perked. All right. First order of business, we have joining us on the level of extraordinarily wicked. Mary Grace Phillips. Woohoo! Yeah. So excited. Feels like an eternity since we got a Patreon member. So thank you, Mary Grace. We got a new pepperoni patroni. We're so happy to see you here. And you make our eighth extraordinarily wicked member correct Ooh, i don't know Good which question. means you get to pick a case any case you damn well please and we get to cover it please don't be one we hate that is true um speaking of becoming a pepperoni patroni how do you do that ashley you join up patreon at patreon.com slash weekly dose of wicked you sure do where we have four tiers for three dollars the slightly wicked for five dollars the moderately wicked for $7, the awesomely wicked. And for $10, the extraordinarily wicked. So head on over, join it up, get in the Discord where we can chat it up and yeah, do all those fun things. What else do we need to talk about? Well, let's talk about Instagram. Where can they find us on Instagram, Ashley? Weekly underscore dose underscore of underscore wicked. Yep, yep. So like it up, follow it up, do all of those things. Keep yourself in the loop. You can also find us on Facebook by searching Weekly Dose of Wicked on Facebook, where you can find our Facebook page. Uh, what else? Uh, you can head on over to Etsy, where you can find buy yourself a nice Weekly Dose of Wicked piece of merch. The holidays are coming up. What does everybody want for Christmas? Obviously, Weekly Dose of Wicked sweatshirts and beanies. So There's nothing better. Nothing better. So order it up. What else we got? Uh, Reviews and ratings. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Head on over to Apple Podcast, where you can leave us a rating and review. We want nothing more for Christmas than 100 reviews. What a great Christmas present we would have. Wouldn't it be the best Christmas ever if we woke up on Christmas morning to find 100 reviews? So do it. Come on. I would cry. Tears of joy. Do it. Leave us ratings and reviews. All right. Uh, I think that's it for, you know, propaganda of forcing you to like us and follow us and do all those things. So most exciting news. Drum roll. Finally time for us to announce our very special Christmas gift to you, our listeners. 12 days of podcastmas. Yes, 12 days of podcastmas, which is this crazy little idea that Ashley and I came up with. I don't know. Does anyone else do it? Maybe, possibly, but I think it's an original idea where we're going to do 12 cases, 12 days in a row. So starting on December 13th and finishing up on December 24th, we're going to give you 12 straight days of Weekly Dose of Wicked. Might have been the craziest thing we ever thought of. Might be. I don't know. But we're going to pull it off just for you. We're going to do it. I don't know how. Yes, I do. But it's a lot of work, but we love you that much. So we're making it happen. So yeah, super excited. Kind of scared. 
I'm not scared at all. Oh, right. Not at all. I, I can't wait. I'm <laughs> so excited to stay up and record until 2 a.m. Yeah, that sounds like a blast. So we can get all 12 episodes recorded. And then also, in the midst of all of my, uh, like, Christmassy, you know, things that I have to do, um, I also have to find time to edit 12 episodes. No, I'm going to learn to edit. I told you that. Mm-hmm. I'll believe that when I see it. I might get three done, but I'm going to learn. <laughs> Ashley, it is December. We started our podcast in June. July. July. July 6th. July 6th. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been five months. Okay, and? What What have you edited? Not shit, but. Exactly. So I'm going to edit something. It. I'll believe it when I see it. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's all the exciting news that we have. So let's get into our case. Um, this week, we have a Patreon request. I know, Ashley, you've been waiting so patiently for this case. No, I have not. I know you haven't. So uh, we have a Patreon request from none other than Brandy Coble. She's a member of our Extraordinarily Wicked. And she requested that we do this case. It's been a hot minute, but I'll be honest, Brandy. I told you when you requested it, I hate, I hate it. So I did put it off as long as I could. And then finally I was like, all right, time to hunker down and do it. So here it is. Are you ready? So ready. I was born ready. All right. We're going to talk about the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders. Woohoo. <laughs> Don't sound so excited, <laughs> Ashley. All right. I'm going to be honest. It was really hard. It was really hard for me to do this case. I really, I really am not a fan. I'm not fan of any murders but i really don't like ones with children and the oklahoma girl scout murders is just really tough so disclaimer this case involves children uh also it involves sexual assault um i don't go into great detail on that because i didn't want to but just disclaimer <laughs> that's i mean i'm just being honest. i don't go into great detail because i don't want to so i didn't go into detail on the sexual assault aspect i mean i mentioned it but i just want to let you know if that's not your jam we'll see you next week yeah two all right cases so kids in a row I know. I thought about that after I already did all the research. So I was like, man, I have a lot of kids lately. We're going to need to step it up and not need to get away from the get away from the children. Well, I'm supposed to do a kid next week, too. Yeah, we're going to need to put. Well, I don't know. Because, I'm going to have to put that um, on pause. Just message message that Patreon. Tell her we got to wait too much. Too, we'll do too much in a row. All right. So here we go. Ready? So summer of 1977. Camp Scott, about 50 miles. Outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma, was a buzz with young Girl Scouts ready to embark on a week of fun and learning. This group of rambunctious Girl Scouts arrived at Camp Scott on June 12, 1977. Just some facts about Camp Scott, because I thought they were interesting. You know how much I like history. Has nothing to do with the case, but I just thought it was kind of cool. We love some fun facts. Yeah, so um, Camp Scott initially opened on August 11th of 1928. Whoa. Crazy, right? As Camp Modelco, Modelco, Camp Modelco. It's M-A-D-E-L-C-O, Modelco. Uh, but the name was changed to Camp Scott a few years later, and it kept that name until 1977. Camp Scott appears by all definition to be a prominent camp. Uh, it was owned by the Tulsa Scout Council initially, um, completely unrelated as well. But at the time of its opening in 1928, a five-day camp was $5. Wow. That's pretty cheap. Yeah. Right? And then a 10-day camp was $9. So, of course, I adjusted that for inflation. So, in 2022, that would have been $87.14 for five days and $156.85 for 10 days. Yeah, but that's super cheap. Do you know how much camp is? Even Well, that's what I put. Even adjusted for inflation, that's extremely affordable camp. Right? Camp Thunderbird that I always wanted to go to was like hundreds of dollars. Right. And it was like a weekend. This isn't even comparable to, like, a day camp. Like, this is an overnight camp, which means they're feeding them all of their meals. I mean, like, that's really cheap camp. Yeah, super cheap. So, go uh, Tulsa Scout Council, because, I mean, that's some cheap camp. But anyway, again, doesn't really matter. That's not part of the, that has nothing to do with anything. Um, but regardless, back getting, getting somewhat back on track, this still isn't completely on track, but whatever. In 1957, Camp Scott hosted 4,606 Girl Scouts that year alone. It's a pretty decent amount of girls. Right. I mean, again, I think... Very prosperous and reputable camp for Girl Scouts. I mean, it seems to be like it was a pretty popular place. Camp Scott even hosted the state conference back in 1947. Wow. So, I don't know. I mean, it's a pretty impressive place. So, summer of 1977, Camp Scott is celebrating their 49th year. Um, in preparation for camp opening, they began in April of 1977 with the camp counselors doing sort of like a training. 
So during the training for opening season at Camp Scott, camp counselor Michelle Hoffman arrived back at her tent to find that her belongings had been ransacked. The most disturbing part of this was a box of donuts that Michelle had brought from home. They had been emptied, and inside of the box was a handwritten note. The note read, we are on a mission to kill three girls in tent one. And this is at the beginning of camp season? This was in April, so camp season started in about June, but this is pre-camp season when they were preparing for the camp open. All of the counselors were there doing like a weekend training to get them ready. So yeah, this was before the camp even opened, back in April, two months before the camp even opened. Okay. So Michelle obviously was frightened by this note. Uh, Just a little backstory on Michelle. She had just recently aged out of the Girl Scouts, so this was her first year attending as a counselor instead of like a camper. So how old was she? Well, I looked it up. Girl Scouts go from kindergarten to 12th grade. So she was probably 18. Okay. But still pretty young. I mean, you know, newly, I mean, she very easily could have been 17 because it says kindergarten through 12th grade. But either way, well, I mean. 19. Okay. Well, either way, I'm just saying she was a new, newly young adult. 17 to 19. Still a child. Okay. Yes. Still a little girl to be getting a note that says we're on a mission to kill three girls in 10 to 1. Um, so Michelle, obviously frightened by this note, took it to the camp director. She, The camp director said she would look into it. Um, the camp director decided it was just a prank, though, because that's, you know, summer camps are just full of pranks. Oh, that's a great prank. Well, apparently that's a common thing. I don't know. I never got the. I never got to go to camp. Hmm. So Camp Scott opened as normal the summer of 1977. So that's going to bring us back to June 12th. It was a Sunday, and this week's campers arrived by bus, excited for the week of camp. Um, actually, looking into it, though, it looks like it was a 10-day. I think that they were going to be there for about a week and a half. There was kind of some contradiction as to whether, like, how long they were going to be there. But I'm going to go with they were supposed to be there for about two weeks. Okay. And we'll see why in a few minutes. So, uh, these girls at camp, from what I can find, I mean, Girl Scouts range from kindergarten to 12th grade. Um, it seems to me they they range from, like, 8 to 17. I don't know if that's important. But anyway, they're young girls. Uh, it's reported that 140 girls arrived at Camp Scott that day, which to me also seemed a little crazy. It's a lot of girls. I mean, but that's for like a week, a week and a half. Like that's all that's going to arrive or. Yeah. No, that's all of a week and a half. I guess I just. All right. So I have some pictures for you. I'll send them now since we're talking about it now. I think it's going to come down a little bit farther, but I'll go ahead and send the pictures and we'll discuss here in a second why I think that's a lot. But let me just send you this one. I mean, so I have no experience with camp. However, the parent trap uh-huh they arrive on like school buses yes and i think there was two school buses right mm-hmm. probably so i don't know i, I just googled it and 70 kids can fit on a school bus so that's about 140 kids did that second picture come through or no i haven't gotten anything yet okay all right i guess this is why i was surprised by that number because i've heard the oklahoma girl scout murders like i've heard it many times i don't know if i'm just hard-headed or dense or like what's wrong with me I just never realized how big the camp was. I mean, are you saying that you think it's exceptionally big or you think it's small? I thought that it was a small little rinky-dink camp, and it's not. Yeah, no, I assumed it was a big camp. It's a Girl Scout camp. I'm not familiar with Girl Scouts. I was never a Girl Scout. So to me, I just, the way I've heard it described, to me, it sounded like it was a very small camp. I did not realize how large it was. So let's keep moving. Yeah, there's like 10 cabins, right? No, there's more than that. We'll talk about it in a second. I'm not there yet. Okay. All right, so... It's reported 140 girls arrive at Camp Scott that day. Uh, Lori Lee Farmer, age 8, Doris Denise Milner, age 10, and Michelle Guys, age 9, were three of these girls. I guess I should have put, her name was Michelle Heather Guys. I don't know why I didn't add the Heather in. I'm sorry. That was unacceptable of me. Yeah, you Um, piece of trash. I know. That was unacceptable. I don't know why I did that. Michelle Heather Guys, age 9, were three of these girls. Lori, Doris, and Michelle were all assigned to tent this is another contradiction. We're going to say tent eight because it, that's where it falls in my story. But depending on what you read, it's either tent seven or tent eight. Um, so tent eight held four girls, but their fourth bunkmate was not set to arrive until the following day. So for the first day, it would just be these three little girls in the tent. Um, the way that the tents are set up, it's a half circle, like the picture I showed you. So you can see there. Right. The half circle. So like I said, technically there's eight tents, but the first tent is the counselor tent. And then, depending on what you read, it says the tents are then numbered one through seven. But, again, depending on what you read, it's either tent seven or tent eight. Based off the numbering of the other tents I mentioned, we're going to go with tent eight. If that is improper, let us know. But it was an old case, and there's a lot of contradictions. Okay. So, anyway, you've got the picture with the layout, just so you can see it. You can Mm -hmm. see that the distance between the counselor tent and the last tent is, what does it say, like 87 feet 
Well, 10 yards. Okay, 87 yards. Yeah, that's right. So it's like 50, 60, 79 yards. And then there's a seven yard. Yeah, so I mean, it's 86 yards. 86 Eight. yards between, between the counselor's tent and 10 to 8. What is this in the middle? Is this a building? It is. It's the showers. Oh, okay. So that's like directly in the center. So as you can see, you've got like almost 90 yards in between the counselor tent and this last tent. And also you've got this massive building that's completely blocking the line of sight to that tent. Right. So I just feel like that's important. We'll put that on Instagram if you guys want to head on over there and check it out. But so that's the layout of the tents. Okay. I personally don't love the layout. No. I mean, obviously it worked fine for 50 years. But to me, it would make more sense to have, like, if that's the layout you're going to go with, that little half circle, it would make more sense to me to have the counselors in the middle. Yes. And then have three tents on one side, four tents on the other, or make it like an even three and three, or make it an even four and four. But it would make more sense to have the counselors in the middle to me. Or, like, where the shower is. Like, have the counselor in the shower. Okay, well, pretty much this is the, the shower is like a structured building. Oh, or this one's not... The tents are not, so they have, like, a wooden foundation, but they're, like, legit tent. Uh, like, they're canvas tents. No, they're not cabins. See, I was misinformed on that as well. But if you look at the pictures, they're actually, like, canvas tents. They do have, like, a bottom that looks like it's, like, a wooden platform. Almost reminds me of, like, a wooden deck you would see at, like, a a campground, you know, where they have, like, the decks they build. That's what it kind of makes me think of. It's, like, a wooden deck. And it's got this canvas tent on top of it with cots inside. Okay. So the shower couldn't really be moved. I feel like the tents could have been moved, rearranged better to make them closer together. Um, So anyway, then this is where I have my section about, I didn't realize how big Camp Scott was. So anytime I've heard about Camp Scott, I just thought it was like this small rinkety camp. Seven, I always hear about the seven tents, eight tents, whatever. Okay. But based off the other picture I showed you, there are different sections of this campground. So like, yes, there are eight tents, but that's in that one section, which is the Kiowa section. Right. So Camp Scott is actually 240 acres. Right. It's a huge campground. I never realized how big it was until looking into this today, like, you know, for this case, for me to cover it. I mean, I didn't think it was that big, but I thought it would, there were like multiple sections. Huge. It's got 20 structured buildings a swimming pool. I mean, like, it's a huge campground. Right. For Girl Scouts. It is. So when, you know, now that I know that, I'm like, okay, 140 girls. At first, I was thinking 140 girls, there's only eight tents. But now I see there's, like, little sub camps. They were, like, grouped by age and by, like, their troops. And, like, okay, that makes more sense to me. Right. But anyway, now you can see, like, just how big the campground really is. I mean, it's huge. 240 acres. So the section that we're going to discuss is the Kiowa unit. Um, the Kiowa unit is one of the most remote sections of the camp, as you can see by that diagram. Mm-hmm. So you can see, like, the Kiowa unit, I would say, and the, up top, the Osage. Is that how you think you say that? Probably. Like, those appear to be, like, the farthest away from everything else. But the Osage appears to be, like, by the main road. So not quite as remote as like the Kiowa unit. The Kiowa unit is just kind of like in the middle of nowhere, in the pitch black dark I forest. Know, I feel like a lot of these places are not near. Like the Osage, the Chickasaw, the Arf. Okay, but the uh-oh. Chickasaw, the Creek, the Seminole, the Cedar Lodge, they're all next to each other. Right. You know what I mean? Like they're all kind of like pretty close to each other. I mean, I would say the Arapaho and the Kiowa, those are those are probably the most remote. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, Comanche looks pretty remote as well, too. Well, they've got the Cherokee right across from them. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of remote places, I feel like, in this camp. Okay, well, based off of my research, it said the Kiowa was one of the most remote areas of the entire campground. Okay. It's on the edge of the property, and it's just in the middle of the wilderness. Okay. Very dark. So, yeah. Um, The only, I guess another thing that probably plays a part in it is that the only... Uh, like, structure they have there is the shower house. Right. Compared to, like, some of these other ones. Like, the staff house is, you know, in between these two camps. You've got the red barn in between these two camps. You've got, like, the ranger house, the health center, the director's office, the great hall, the cook's cabin. Like, all of those are going to have electricity and lights. The Kiowa, the only place they had with any sort of electricity or running water of any kind was the shower. Right. Like, the shower, bathhouse, whatever. So, I don't know. Based off of what I read, though, it said it was one of the most remote points of the entire campground. Okay. So, as I said, Kiowa Uni obviously has the eight tents. Um, each tent holds four cots. First tent is the counselor tent. 
The counselors assigned to the Kiowa unit were Carla, age 18, Susan, also age 18, and Dee, who was 20. So three very young women, and they're in charge of roughly 27 girls in the Kiowa unit. So you're looking at, I mean, almost, you know, whatever, like nine girls apiece that they're essentially in charge of, which is, I mean, quite a bit. I can't imagine taking care of nine kids for two weeks. No, but then also you said that, like, they're arranged by age. So is everyone in the Kiowa unit around nine? That's how it would assume to me. Okay. I mean, that's what I would assume. That That's how, it, because it was like, you know, eight, nine, ten were the right. three girls that we mentioned. So to me, it would appear like they're in that age range. Right. And like I said, they're also assigned by, like, tr- by their troops. So, yeah, to me, it would seem they're probably all, because, like, Girl Scouts have, like, different levels. It would appear to me they're probably all within that age group. Okay. So, yeah, three girls looking after uh, 30, 8, 9, 10-year-olds. It just seems that they wouldn't put 8, 9, and 10-year-olds in the most remote area of the camp. I agree with that statement. I don't know. That doesn't make make sense to me. Nope, me neither. Because they're probably the youngest kids there. I mean, I can't be certain of that. I couldn't find any, I couldn't find anything that said there were anyone younger than that there. To me, that's the youngest I could find. But, yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, most sleepaway camps have like an age, I don't know about in 1977, but most of the time they have like a age, like a minimum age or whatever, you know? Right. And it's normally, I would say like seven, eight, nine, like that age range. So yeah, they're probably the youngest girls there. Okay. I don't like that. No, I don't like it either. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, so June 12th was a rainy day. It was not the best day for camp. Um, the girls at Camp Scott spent the day under the shelters doing crafts and other indoor activities. One of those activities was writing letters back home. I was not able to find Michelle Guise's letter, but I did find Lori Farmer's and Doris Milner's. Um, I'm going to try to get through them without getting emotional because I'm not going to lie. I really got upset earlier reading them, but both of these letters are absolutely heartbreaking. On one side, you have sweet Lori. She was just eight years old. And this is her letter. Now, pre before I start reading this letter, it was written in cursive by an eight-year-old. So if I miss the names, this is what I think the name said. Different sources had the names written differently. The names could be wrong. I'm going to say these are the names of her siblings. I could very well be wrong. If I am, don't attack me. But this is what I saw when I read the cursive of an eight-year-old. <laughs> Dear Mommy, Daddy, Misty, Jody, Chad, and Kaylee, we're getting ready to go to bed at 7.45. We're at the beginning of a storm and having lots of fun. I've met two new friends, Michelle Guys and Denise Milner. I'm sharing a tent with them. It started raining on the way back from dinner. We're sleeping on cots. I couldn't wait to write you. We're all writing letters now because there's hardly anything else to do. With love, Lori. So that absolutely breaks my heart. Yeah, she's just having fun. Yeah, like she is so optimistic. She's telling her family how much fun she's having, even though it's raining. (sighs) To me, that one really got me because you know how excited and like optimistic my nine-year-old is. Right. And I feel like that would be her 100% in the same situation. Like she would just be like so excited to be there and like making friends and it wouldn't matter if there was a tornado coming. Like she'd be having a great time. Right. So for me, that was really hard. It's really hard to read. Um, then on the other hand, you have Denise Milner. Denise did not want to go to camp. She told her mom that she had changed her mind. She wanted to stay home. And her mom said, you know, no, like you're going. It's going to be fun. We've already paid for it. I 100% see where she's coming from. Like she just thought her daughter was nervous and she thought she'd have a good time at camp. So Denise writes her mom from camp and this is her letter. Dear mom, I don't like camp. It's awful. The first day it rained. I have three new friends named Linda, Lori, and Michelle. Michelle and Lori are my roommates. Mom, I don't want to stay at camp for two weeks. I want to come home and see Kathy and everybody. Your loving child, Denise Milner. Ugh, that's awful. So, to me, I don't know which one's more heartbreaking, honestly. I mean, honestly, they both are. I mean, one of them is having the best day of her life, and the other one doesn't want to be there at all. Right. So, I hate it. I hate it a lot. 
So anyway, obviously they all go to bed. Um, it's the first night of camp and all of the, you know, all these little girls are excited. No one wants to go to bed. I mean, you know what it's like to like have a sleepover with your friends or like to be like, they're just having the time of their lives. There's lots of chattering. It's raining. Um, like there's a lot of noise going on. Now, Carla, one of the camp counselors did say that at first she was that, uh, Lori, Michelle and Denise, like by themselves, they were all very quiet and like reserved girls. But by the end of the night, she said that they also were like in their, in their little tent and they were giggling and they were playing cards like they were having a great time so she you know they warmed up to each other she said they were having a great time so a few times during the night counselors did come out of their tents because they heard strange noises but they never come came across anything alarming so at 6 a.m the morning of june 13th the camp counselor gets up and heads to the showers where she comes across what she believes to be an injured camper in her sleeping bag she runs to get the camp director who gets the nurse to come um to the aid of the injured camper but to their horror, they soon discover that not only was the camper deceased, but that all three girls from tent eight had been murdered and that their bodies lay in their sleeping bags 150 yards from their tents. Ugh. Yeah. Two of the girls had been bludgeoned to death and the third was strangled. So I want to back up to the night before. All the girls, you know, like I said, they're playing in their tents, having a good time. At around 10 p.m., a counselor from another unit reported seeing a faint light moving through the woods towards the Kiowa unit. The counselor assumed that it was just another counselor, so she went back to bed. At around the same time, D, one of the counselors from the Kiowa unit, decided to do a tent check. And at this point, everyone was in their tent and nothing seemed out of the ordinary. At around midnight, Carla was awoken by giggling. And she discovered that a group of campers had escaped and they were in the bathhouse. So she escorted them back to their tents and she reiterated to them that they could not leave their tents and they needed to go back to sleep. Carla went back to the counselor tent only to be brought back out of bed around 1.30 a.m. when she once again heard campers giggling. She made her way to tent six, so just two tents away from tent eight, where the campers were still awake. Uh, she told them that they needed to go to sleep. At this point, though, Carla heard what she described as like a low growling moan coming from behind the tents. She shined her flashlight into the dark woods, but she didn't see anything. Carla claims she then continued to hear that same noise through the rest of the night. Obviously, they're in the middle of the woods. She most likely just thought it was an animal. Right. She's also not the only one to report hearing this noise. Another counselor said that she was woken up by this noise during the night, but when she stepped out of the tent to investigate, it stopped. So she went back to bed. At around 2 a.m., a little girl in tent 7, so just one tent away from tent 8, was woken up when she claimed that someone opened the, fl the flap to her tent and shined a flashlight in. Whoever it was shut the flap and moved on, so the little girl just thought that it was a counselor, and she went back to sleep. At around 3 a.m., campers reported being woken up by someone screaming, and also there were reports of someone crying for their mom around that same time. Obviously, though, these are all little girls. They're frightened by this. I mean, I assume that they would have just thought the counselors would take care of it. So, I mean, it's not their job to go check on other little girls. You know what I mean? Right, and they're not supposed to leave their tents. Right. So... That's the last report. That's at 3 a.m. So based off of that, it's estimated the murders happened sometime between like 2.30 and 3. Right. So now we've made it to morning and Carla, one of the Kiowa counselors, is the one that headed to the showers. As I said, along the trail, she sees a sleeping bag. And at first, she's annoyed, thinking, what in the heck? Like, why on earth did one of these girls ditch their sleeping bags outside? But as she gets closer, she sees that Denise Lynn is inside of the unzipped sleeping bag and that she's naked from the waist down. Carla immediately runs back to the counselor tent where she wakes her fellow counselors. She instructs, she instructs them to go and check on the other campers. Carla then runs for help to the director's house. The director, Barbara Day, gets the camp nurse and they head to the Kiowa unit to check Denise for signs of life. As Carla is reapproaching the Kiowa unit with the director and the camp nurse, the other counselors, Dee and Susan, are finishing up their check on the other campers. They tell the director that all of the tents are accounted for except for tent eight, and that not only is Denise missing from the tent, but Lori and Michelle are also not in the tent. On top of that, upon entering tent eight, the counselors found that there was blood everywhere in the tent. So Barbara Day calls her husband Richard Day, and he heads down to the Kiowa unit to help them look for the other two girls. He begins walking the trail and quickly comes across two more sleeping bags. These sleeping bags contain the remains of Lori and Michelle. Uh, their sleeping bags are zipped, and the girls' bodies are in the bottom of the sleeping bag. At this point, Barbara Day calls and reports the murders to the State Highway Patrol Officer Harold Berry. By 7.30 a.m., law enforcement had arrived on the scene, and by 8 a.m., they'd called in the Oklahoma Bureau of Investigation. 
Um, this was a horrendous crime. I mean, yeah, pretty awful. Reports indicate that Michelle and Lori had been tied up and had tape covering their mouths. Denise had a rope and balled-up towel tied around her neck, indicating that she most likely had been gagged to keep her quiet as she was brutally attacked. In an effort to shelter the other girls from what had happened, uh, Barbara Day arranged for the buses to come back out and take them back to Tulsa. I will say, as horrible as this case is, it does seem to me they did a really good job of not traumatizing all of the other girls there. Right. I mean, like, all of this happened. I don't... I had read the buses didn't get back until like 9 a.m. So somehow they were able to shelter all of those girls from like the police presence. Like none of them had any idea what was going on. They just told them there's an emergency and they had to evacuate the camp. They weren't allowed to take their stuff. Like they literally just got all of those girls out of there. None of them had any idea what was happening. Right. Yeah. They probably like woke them up and immediately were like, okay, breakfast all. Let's go, girls. So something that I had listened to or read said that they were supposed to be going on like a nature hike that morning or like they were supposed to be doing something. And that, like, the Kiowa unit obviously was, like, the closest to it. Um, so they had told them that because they had stayed up all night, that, like, they, were, they weren't going to get to do it. Like, they were kind of, like, in trouble. Yeah. And they would have to walk the long way, like, around. And, like, that was kind of their excuse. I mean, I don't know how accurate that is. But I will just say, given the fact that, like, these camp counselors are two 18-year-olds and a 20-year-old, I think that they had to have handled it fantastically. Right, because I don't know what I would have done in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, a big piece of controversy in this case, however, is that prior to calling the parents of the three deceased children, um, the Magic Empire Council, who now owned Camp Scott, contacted their insurance provider and their attorney. So, not necessarily... Kind of shitty, but, like, kind of understandable. Well, I said it's not necessarily pertinent to the case, but pretty crappy nonetheless. Like, there's three children who have been murdered and instead of like notifying their parents you call your attorney and your insurance yeah no i mean i definitely think that's shitty yeah so essentially they called all of the parents of all the girls let them know that there was that there had been a camper murdered essentially and they sent all of these kids back but like they didn't tell any of the parents which campers it was so, like all of these parents are waiting for their kids like not even knowing if the kids are coming back oh that would have to be awful i mean essentially just a horrible day so the camp was immediately evacuated obviously they didn't give any explanation to the girls and to this day, it's never reopened. It's been closed since June 13th of 1977. That's pretty crazy. I think it's, I mean, it's 240 acres. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's. I mean, I don't know who would send their kid there now. But I mean, no, but it's kind of crazy to me that it hasn't been reopened to something else, you know? Right. Yeah. Or like had a subdivision built on it. Or I don't know. I mean, as a whole, I think that most of the time there's not much care given to those kinds of things. So. Right. It must be like whoever owned it somebody did buy it after like the magic empire council doesn't own it anymore they sold it oh hmm. so i don't know interesting so anyway investigation into these murders began immediately but obviously there's a lot of ground to cover because remember it's a 240 acre camp right so this would begin the largest manhunt in oklahoma history with over 600 volunteers and costing the state over a hundred thousand dollars adjusted for inflation that is four hundred ninety one thousand seven hundred sixty eight dollars and 81 cents thank you for those precise numbers Half a million dollars. So, a red flashlight was found on top of one of the bodies. It had tape over the lens as a way to dim the light, which explains the dim light the other counselor saw moving towards the Kiowa camp the night before. Uh, also, inside of the flashlight, they found wadded up newspaper. Um, they assumed that was a way, like, that that was to keep the batteries from rattling inside of the flashlight. Yeah, to keep the noise down. Mm-hmm. Um, the flashlight did have a partial fingerprint on it, which to this day has never been identified. They also found a size nine and a half footprint in the blood in the tent. I just want to reiterate, it was a footprint, not a shoe print. It was a bare footprint. Oh. I just assumed you meant shoe print. No, I always assumed that as well, but it was a footprint, not a shoe print. Hmm. Uh, Also, while investigating inside of the tent, please realize that only two of the cots were covered in blood. These were the cots of Lori and Michelle. Denise's cot shows no sign of uh, any sort of, like, blood on it. So this leads the investigators to believe that Lori and Michelle were bludgeoned to death inside of the tent and that they were then carried out of the tent in their zipped sleeping bag, kind of like a over the shoulder, like a sack. And that's why they were in the bottom of the sleeping bag when they were found. They were carried out and dumped. Right. Um, they believe that Denise most likely sat paralyzed by fear as the perpetrator killed Lori and Michelle. And she's most likely who the other campers heard crying for her mom. Ugh. 
They then believe that Denise was most likely forced to walk out of the tent to where she was later found. Um, and that's why her sleeping bag was unzipped because she most likely walked like with it around her. Right. Autopsies of the three girls determined that Lori and Michelle's causes of death were blunt force trauma and Denise was strangulation, although she did also suffer blunt force trauma that was not her cause of death. Uh, all three girls show sign of sexual assault, and that's all I'm going to say about it. There was semen found in the tent as well as on the bodies. In the days following, they brought in tracking dogs, and they're able to find nylon rope, tape, and a crowbar, and they believe the crowbar is the murder weapon. On June 18th, they came across a cave on the property. Inside of the cave, they found evidence that someone had been living there. There were remnants of food, um, also newspapers. The newspapers matched the newspaper that they found inside of the flashlight. And the most damning piece of evidence is written on the wall of the cave. There was a note that read, the killer was here. Bye-bye, fools. And it was dated 77-17-6, which would be June 17th of 77, just four days after the murders. What an asshole. So that also means, like, not only was the murderer in the cave, but also he hung out there because it was four days after the murder. So he hung out in the cave. Hey, what a ballsy person. Mm-hmm. You said it was on the property, like, at the cave? Yeah. I mean, it was essentially either on the property or just outside of the perimeter of the property, but, I mean, it was right there. Right. Um, also inside of this cave, police found prescriptions, uh, a pair of prescription glasses that had been taken from Camp Scott. Um, they found tape that matched the tape that was used at the scene. They also found two photographs of women who would later be linked to a man named Gene Leroy Hart. Uh, This cave was just a few hundred feet from the remains of Gene Hart's childhood home. So there was like a cellar and a foundation that at one point that's where his childhood home stood. So this cave was a couple hundred feet away from that. So at this point, obviously, Gene Hart becomes the lead suspect in this case. Gene Hart was a convicted kidnapper and rapist. He had been sentenced in 1966 to two consecutive 10-year sentences for kidnapping and raping two pregnant women in Mays County, where Camp Scott is located. So you may be thinking to yourself, or maybe you're not, I'm not sure. 1966, he was sentenced to two 10-year sentences, which means he shouldn't have been out of prison until 1986, but it's 1977. But he was out of prison. How is he out of prison? Well, in 1973, he escaped the Mays County Jail. And he'd been on the run ever since. Oh. So first of all, pretty freaking crazy he'd been on the run. I mean, that was four years. Yeah, that's a long time. Without getting caught. Which would also explain why he had no shoes. If, like, he was in fact, I mean, he's been, like, out on his own in the woods for four years. Right. He can't exactly, like, go to town and buy anything. Right, that's why I was kind of thinking, like, he had no shoes on, they heard grunting. Like, he kind of sounds like he's just like an animal. Yeah. Well, I mean, essentially, he probably is. Um, so anyway, 1973, he escapes Mays County Jail. Within a month of the murders, Gene Hart is announced as being the lead suspect, and he is now wanted for first-degree murder. This, to me, was kind of crazy. On July 30th of 1977, so about a month and a half after the murders, Hart used the American Indian Movement to release a statement for him. So, like, he didn't turn himself in. Like, he wasn't captured. But apparently, he the American Indian movement came out and said that they talked to Hart and that Hart is denying all accusations of his involvement in these murders. Um, and that he claimed the reason why he's still on the run is because he it was out of fear that if he turned himself in, they would just shoot the hell out of him. Well, first of all, what is this American Indian Act? It's the American Indian Movement. What is that? Um, it is like a group of American Indians in Oklahoma. So it's like an organization. Is he an American Indian? I mean, that's a good question. It would probably make more sense if he was. I mean, yeah. But I don't know. I didn't actually look to see if he was. It would make more sense if he was an American Indian, but I'm not sure. Because, like, do they have, like, reservations <laughs> like they do here? Yes. So he could have just been, like, hiding out in the reservation and, like... Yeah, he is actually, it does appear. He's a Native American, <laughs> Yes. So that's why he used them. That makes much more sense to me, because I wondered why these Native Americans were hiding him. So finally, on April 6th of 1978, so at this point, it had been almost a year, Hart is arrested after a tip came in that he was at the home of a local Cherokee medicine man. Okay. So Hart was deemed fit to stand trial. 
The trial began on March 19th of 1979. So at this point, we're looking at almost two years after the murders. Uh, the local sheriff is certain that Gene Hart is good for these murders. However, the jury does not agree. And Hart is acquitted on March 31st of 1979. Hmm. However, Hart did return to prison for other charges. And he was set to serve 145 to 305 years at the Oklahoma State Penitentiary. Well, he did escape from prison. Yes, he did. But now he's in the Oklahoma State Penitentiary. He's set to serve 145 to 305 years. However, on July 4th of 1979, a little over a month after being put back in prison, he suffered a major heart attack and died. Oh. Yes. It's quite a turn of events. I would agree. Um, Two of the families did attempt to sue the Magic Empire Council for $5 million, stating that they were neglectful, given the note that they found back in April. Which I would somewhat agree with. I think they should have taken that note a little more seriously. However, the jury did not agree. They sided with the camp in a vote of nine to three. So the family did not get any money. Oh, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, Michelle, they said that it was going to be a turning point for summer camps everywhere if they were to hold them accountable for this. Why shouldn't they be held accountable? I mean, I think they 100% should have. They should have taken the note more seriously. I think it's ridiculous that somebody literally wrote, okay, this is what's ridiculous to me. And I should have said this earlier on. So they find this note that says, we're going to kill three girls in tent one found in this Kiowa unit, whatever. So there's eight tents, and they find it in technically tent one, the count, the counselor's tent. Yeah, the counselor's tent, right? But, like, they very easily could have gotten the tent numbers confused because tent eight was the other last tent. They could have thought that was tent one. Right, if they're not campers. Right, and based off of, I mean, I guess it just depends, right? If they're not campers, they don't know the camp, they could have thought that was tent one. So for all they know, they killed three girls in tent one. Right. So, yeah, to me, absolute bull squash that they were not held accountable. But I wasn't on the jury. I don't know. I wasn't even born. Um, yes, you were, Sarah. Do what? Yes, you were. You were on the jury. No, I wasn't. What is wrong with you? You're so weird sometimes. <laughs> anyway, Michelle Guise's father, uh, Richard Guise, went on to help the state legislator pass the Oklahoma Victims uh, Compensation Board, as well as the Oklahoma Crime Victims Bill of Rights. Sherry Farmer, who's the mother of Lori Farmer, founded the Oklahoma Chapter of Parents of Murdered Children. So at least that good came out of it. You know, their parents did good things for Oklahoma. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. Uh, There's been a lot of recent media attention on the case, obviously, with the Hulu special that came out. And then Fox Nation also decided they were going to dive into the case. Um, Have you watched the Hulu? No, I didn't watch the Hulu and I didn't watch the Fox Nation because... It's nothing against the lady in the Hulu, but like the Hulu one is like an actress... Do you know? I mean, have you looked into it? No, I I don't like this case. I don't look into it. Okay, well, the Hulu special is about this actress, and I should probably know her name if I'm going to bring it up, but I, it's that's besides the point. So there's this actress who apparently was supposed to be going to the camp that week, but she was sick and didn't go. So I just feel like, I don't know, I should give it a shot. I should probably watch it. But to me, it just kind of feels like we're giving spotlight to this actress instead of like the victims of the... You know what I mean? She had nothing to do with anything. Right. I mean, like, apparently she was a Girl Scout in 1977. She did live in Oklahoma. I do know that much. Like, I looked it up. She went to, like, Oklahoma State University. Like, she is from Oklahoma. Her story probably is true. But, I don't know. To me, it just feels like it's, I don't know. I'll give it, I'll give it a fair shot. Maybe I'll watch it. But I don't know that, I don't really like when we try to, like, um, like, take the attention away from the victims, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to. I'm not going to watch it. I'm be real with you. Yeah, it's the same way that I feel about uh, my episode, my last episode. Nicholas? Yeah, Nicholas. And, like, how that stupid douche canoe who, like, took over his identity, like, now anytime you look up the case, like, that's all that pops up is this guy that took it over. Right. Nothing about Nicholas. Not a fan. So, anyway. Uh, anyway, as far as I can tell, though, as of now, I don't know that we can still even consider that the the case is solved in any way. Um, There is recent DNA testing that was done in May of 2022, which apparently rules out all possible suspects but one. And the Mays County Sheriff Mike Reed was asked by Lori Farmer's parents to take a fresh look at the case nine years ago. He says, based off of the evidence, there is not a shadow of doubt in his mind that Gene Leroy Hart is responsible for the murders. So as far as he's concerned, that's who's responsible. Right, but you just said DNA ruled him out. No, it says the DNA DNA ruled out all possible suspects but one, but it doesn't tell you which one. Oh. Hmm. So I don't know. I will say, I'm not going to name any names, but if you feel like diving into the message boards, which are all over the internet, every message board 
list the same people that they think did it. And these are like people that live in Mays County who obviously, I mean, obviously it's like small town rumors, but they all say the same people. And it's not Gene Leroy Hart. It's someone else who appears to have not even been investigated. That's weird. You would think after like all the message boards, they would at least investigate him. Well, I think they probably just think it's small town rumor. And one of the message boards even says that this person they're all be saying like that they think did it was on the jury for Gene Leroy Hart. Oh my gosh. So I don't know how factual that is because it's small town rumor. So I mean, that's why I'm not going to like go into detail on that. But I just thought it was interesting enough for you to know because I thought it was pretty crazy myself. Yeah, you'll have to give me more details. Yeah, I don't know. I just think all in all, I hope that was good for you, Brandy. Wasn't good for me. (laughs) (laughs) No, you did a good job. I mean, I know I did a good job. I always do a good job. You're such a cocky son of a bitch. Don't call me that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are. Okay, well, I do think I did a good job, but I didn't want to. No, I did want to do a good job because even if I hate a case, I try to do the best I can because I want to make sure that, like, we're doing justice for the victims, you know? Right. Like, that's my goal. So anyway, that's all I got. Um, Where do we want to go from there? We've got a question in the Discord. We do have a question in the Discord. Mm, what is the question in the Discord? All right. Our question is from Brandit929. You all sound like a really close family. Do you, you talk a lot of true crime at family gatherings, or is it just something the two of you share? Would you like to answer that, or would you like me to? Um, it doesn't matter. Whatever you want to do. We are close. Uh, first of all, we're a very close family. Yes. I think. I would agree. Um, but no. We don't really all talk about true crime at family gatherings. They actually don't care about true crime at all. They no. just love us, so they listen to it. Yeah, 100%. But no, we are very close. Uh, we have dinner together every single Sunday. We have like a Sunday dinner where we rotate cooking and yeah, that's fun. And we spend all of our holidays together and Ashley and I spend every Friday together and sometimes Sterling comes over and has sleepovers with me. We have a group chat where we're talking all the time. We have multiple group chats. We do. We have the Harrington's four group chat, which is the original Harrington's, which is just me, Ashley, mom and dad. Harrington's six. Plus son-in-laws, which is all of us. Which is all of us, which is mom, dad, me, Ashley, our husbands, and our brothers. And then we have, no, we didn't name it. The girl gang? Is that we? I think we named it the girl gang. The girl gang, which is just me, mom, and Ashley, which is just the girls. And it's fun, because sometimes we'll talk in, like, the Harrington Six plus son-in-laws, but then we'll be like, well, let's have a side conversation without all the extra people. And we'll just go to the Harrington's four. So, yeah. But no, none of them care. None of them care about true crime but us. No, but they do. Our parents religiously listen to us every week. Mm -hmm. They're really cute. I walked in on them the other day. Yeah, no, not at all. I walked in on mom and dad the other day um, sitting outside with their Google Home playing the podcast. Uh, The other day when you didn't answer them and I didn't answer them, they were really upset about it. They said, like, hey, Google. Play Weekly Dose of Wicked. And then she was like, um, I found a podcast, Weekly Dose of Wicked, with a new episode out. Would you like me to subscribe you to the podcast? Or like yeah, something, I don't that know. that was the coolest thing ever. They thought it was so cool. They called us for us to hear it. Yeah, they're very cute. And then neither of us answered and they were mad. <laughs> I did answer, but I was in the bathtub and my phone died. I didn't answer. I know. But yeah, no. But no, uh, I do think though, since we started the podcast, they seem to be a little more interested. I mean, yeah, probably not our uh, husbands or brothers, but our parents. Yeah. No, our husbands don't care at all. He says that Ashley's on there and she's just like, wah, 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 And then you come on there talking about me and he's like, and then you're just like, so. And my husband doesn't listen to it. My dad chased him around a couple Sundays ago, making him listen to an episode for an hour. He followed him around everywhere he went, playing an episode. Yeah, he did that to my husband as well. He made him listen to it on their drive back from Boomer an hour away. He was like, oh, we're going to listen to Weekly Dose of Wicked. And then we quizzed him on it. He did okay. Mm. He got like one question, right? Mm, yeah. It's fine. Whatever. But yeah, pretty much the end of it. There's your answer, Brandy. So Let us know if you got 
Let us know if you got any more. Anyone else who's in the Patreon, Pepperoni Patronis, want to ask us a question? Head on over to the Patreon. If you are in the Patreon. I mean, to the Discord. And you haven't joined the Discord yet, you should probably do that. Hey, you're missing out on lots of fun. Oh, uh, you know what? Ashley. What? Post my Thanksgiving dinner in the We Love Food. Ooh, I should. Yes, I cooked a beautiful Thanksgiving dinner. It was mediocre at best, but... I'll post it right now. I should have posted on Thanksgiving. Sierra, why don't you tell me to do that? I forgot, but it's fine. Whatever. It was a lovely... It was a lovely looking spread. Taste was meh, but... Oh my gosh, it was wonderful. Sierra pulled it off, by the way. I know you all cared very much. Sierra pulled off Thanksgiving. She did a great job. Phenomenal. It was... It was all right. It was phenomenal. Turkey was a little dry. What turkey isn't dry? Well, I wanted a moist turkey. Well, you know what? It was still good. All right. Well, we got to hop off here because we got to start recording the 12 Days of Podcast Month. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard and want to support a small podcast, please give us money at www.patreon.com forward slash weekly dose of wicked where you can join one of our three tiers at the five dollar level we've got the moderately wicked for seven dollars a month we've got the awesomely wicked and for all of those high rollers big ballers out there we got the ten dollar level the extraordinarily wicked as a member of our patreon you are entitled to bonus episodes Uh, You also get a one-time shout-out on our podcast, as well as some other cool little extra things going on there. So come on over. Join our fan club. Feel free to give us a follow on Instagram at weekly underscore dose underscore of underscore wicked, or you can literally just search weekly dose of wicked and we'll pop up because we're the only ones. For a direct feed of our podcast, please go to www.weeklydoseofwicked.buzzsprout.com Great news! You can now listen to us pretty much wherever you like to listen to podcasts. That's right, folks. We are big time. You can now hear your Weekly Dose of Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Plus Alexa, Podcast Addict, Podchaser, Pocket Cast, Deezer, Listen Notes, Player FM, Podcast Index, Overcast, Castro, CastBox, and PodFriend. The only place we can't seem to get ourselves on is Pandora. So we'll let you know when that happens. In the meantime, make sure to come back next Wednesday for your Weekly, weekly Dose, Dose of, of Wicked. wicked. But psh Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.